We should totally do the introductions as Roxanne. Roxanne. <laughs> Miss Snowfox. <laughs> and Momotastic. <laughs> you want to buy Sundial Man? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Welcome back to Merlisten, guys, a bi-weekly podcast about BBC's Merlin, where we talk about the show, the fandom, the characters, episodes, pretty much anything. I'm a Mochastic. And I'm a Snowfox. And today we have a new category for you, which is Meet the Actor or Actress, depending on who we're talking about. Which means that we want to see the actors behind the characters, who they are, how important this role was for them, how good they were in it, and what they've been doing since Merlin. And we're starting with Bradley James, who most famously played Arthur Pendragon. And the reason we don't start with Colin is twofold. We started with Merlin for the character analysis, so we wanted to switch it up. Well, I wanted to switch it up. Rox didn't really get a say in it. (laughs) I thought it was dumb. (laughs) (laughs) I disagreed, but then the second reason actually made more sense to me, so I was like, fine. The second reason is that it's Bradley's birthday in October, so it felt fitting to start with him (laughs) on the occasion of his birthday, which will have been a few days after this episode airs, but is still in the future as of the recording of this episode. So there we are. (laughs) Before we get into all of that, let's quickly hear some news. The Arwen community, The Pendragons, is hosting an anniversary festival. They're set to start collecting prompts centered around the theme of celebration any day now. Keep an eye on the-pendragons.tumblr.com for more information. Merlin Forever started a new round of Merlin Rewatch. They rewatched episode 1 on Friday the 12th of October and presumably they're going to keep to the schedule of one episode per week on Fridays. Because of time zones, the rewatch is usually happening around 11pm in Britain and midnight in Central Europe. Finish that fic, Merlin! is coming back in November. If you have any WIP sitting around that you want or need to finish for your own ease of mind, Finish That Fic is the right challenge for you. Check out their live journal to take part in the mini-survey concerning the last round of the fest and to get more information on how the challenge works. The King's Chambers Fest, an exclusively Merthyr top author slash bottom Merlin fest, is looking for prompts for their upcoming fest in February 2019. They are accepting prompts that are both safe or not safe for work. Prompt submission ends on the 17th of October. Merlin Fanfic Quotes on Tumblr is looking for admins and people who will submit quotes regularly. If you read a lot of Merlin Fanfic, this might be the right job for you. The Resurrection Anthology is going to launch a Kickstarter on October 15. Keep an eye on their Tumblr so you won't miss the chance to buy your own printed (laughs) copy of an anthology of Merlin-centric art and fanfic. Alright, that has been it for news. And now we get a talkback. And it is a comment by Saturn, who is Real Life Sucks Ass on Tumblr. And they commented on episode 18, which was our episode review of Gates of Avalon. 
so they left us some tags and they said, I just finished listening to it. Lol. Young Edwin wearing robes like Gaius is creepy. I never thought of that. But now I'm wondering if they wear something under that thing or just go commando. That's why I was creeped out by it. <laughs> it's like, what, like, you know, and I think I've put in my notes, there, there's nothing that's okay about someone going commando in something that has no zip. That is basically my opinion on that. <laughs> Especially when that someone has a great big scar. It just, no. <laughs> What has the scar to do with it? He just looks extra dangerous. Like, right. if someone has a scar, it's like they've probably been a, in a fight. So, I mean, he didn't, but it's just there kind of go. like. Oh, you and your scar shaming. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> he could have been in a fire battle a la Merlin and Nimue in the Mortal Earth. Fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm, I'm just now flashing back to what um, Diane told us. Hi, Diane. Diane! <laughs> oh, God, she's going to kill us. Uh, what Diane told us at her panel uh, during quite a lot, which is that robes were very much the garment of choice for physicians. And, I mean, Edwin is posing as a doctor, so it would be fitting that he wears robes just like Gaius does. Yeah. I don't trust a man without underwear. <laughs> it's just it's not okay. Fair enough. That's probably why you find Gaius so shifty, my most, because no, he does. No, his clothes have <laughs> nothing to do with why I find Gaius annoying. They then carry on to say, um, anyway, it's not the most interesting episode in the show, but I agree with everything you both said. Sophia is pretty and doll-like, but not in that, but not that scary. And indeed, Morgana talking about girls seducing men was kind of weird and too modern. Like how easily Merlin used the she staff, though. He should have kept it and used it later because it was powerful. So Mama has something to say about that, I think. <laughs> yeah, because okay, Merlin and the she staff. Like, yep. how does he know how to use that? Can anyone just use it? Is it key to react to anyone who has magic? Could Gaius have used it? Could Morgana have used it? Like, I just... What? <laughs> I just... <laughs> this, this is something that bothers me. Like, is the she-staff itself magical? And anyone could use it? Or is it specifically people who have magic who can use the staff, like, trigger something that makes the staff more like does the staff enhance their magical power or does the staff itself have power and it just i don't get it with merlin and the she staff like why does it just respond to him why does he just know how to use it is this like a throwback to merlin being the most powerful wizard of all times that things just react to him because oh my god he's so powerful he can literally do anything I just, I wish there had been more explanation as to why magical re objects interact differently with Merlin than they might do with, with other people, I think. To be fair, we've seen Morgana have a, an influence on magical objects, like in To Kill the King, when she uh, manages to get the stone to glow just by touching it. So maybe there is something to be said for magical blood being able to channel things instinct mm. uh, in instinctively. And because Merlin, uh, through whatever reason, is more in tune and has more control over his magic and has technically now been 
actually using spells for the past seven episodes as opposed to just randomly moving things maybe that's why he can have control so like if Morgana held it I doubt she would be able to kind of channel it correctly like it might react but it maybe not but like he actually kind of used an incantation as well as pointing it so but I think I wrote here uh I mean, maybe the reason why he was able to use it correctly is because seeing as he was trying to save Arthur in this scene, the power of boners is stronger. <laughs> so yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah. There's another thing is I think he did keep it. He did. Yeah. I mean, he, he did it keep in, it. He yeah. took it with him in to kill the king yeah. to make sure that he had a weapon against Morgana. But I don't think he ever used it after season one. So what happened no. to the thing after season one? It just did it disappear just like the rest of Arthur's wardrobe or mm-hmm. what what happened <laughs> to this thing? Like did it break eventually because he used it too much? I just I wish we didn't have these things that never get finished, like all these plot threads, even if they're just small things, they never get properly closed. Yeah. You know? And that's just sad. I mean, you know how I feel about this i really (laughs) hate it i hate the fact that they are incapable of following up on anything the fact that they even use the she staff in 112 is just um a miracle in my opinion (laughs) because that doesn't happen with anything else like yeah it's very frustrating i'm so because the thing is it's less effort to reuse stuff than to come up with a completely new villain every week, than to come up with a completely new magical object every week, then just use things you've already established. <laughs> Why are you doing this? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So there you go. Thank you so much for your comment, um, so Saturn. Yeah, we really, really you. appreciate your feedback as always. Yes. Another person whose feedback we always appreciate is Diane Diane, <laughs> thanks for your comment. Who's never going to listen to Merlissen ever again because we said her name like that. All right, and Diane left us an, a comment on our episode review for A Remedy to Cure All Ills. And just reading back over it now, I realized that I misspoke earlier and Diane did not actually... I think she did mention it at Coinod, but probably not as in-depth as I thought she did because she actually mentions it in this comment. And what she said is... FYI, in researching Geyser's ropes, which were fabulous by the way, physicians often wore long ropes in that time period, so I could see why Edwin would wear one. Even the younger physicians wore them. Other than that, I always forget about this episode too. There is lots of meat there, but it's not put together in a way that is exciting and makes sense. I agree. It is um, it's very forgettable and it's a big shame because the prequel episodes always seem to kind of go under the radar. And I think it's probably because there's very little of the young cast in them, uh, which is a real shame. But there you go. (laughs) So uh, thank you so much for your comments, guys. Now, uh, obviously, we really appreciate your feedback. And if you guys want to be featured in the episode and have a discussion with us, you have multiple platforms on which to do it now. You can leave a comment at the place where you found this episode on our website, which is melissa.prackerproductions.com. You can leave a comment there where many people do. Or if you prefer to do it through Tumblr, you can reblog the post and leave your comment in the tags or send us an ask. That's always really appreciated. And because we're super modern, we are now on 
iTunes. So if you leave us a review on iTunes and a rating, that really helps us out because everyone loves iTunes. Or if you're a bit more kind of, you know, down with the kids, as they say, you can leave us a tweet because that's always really appreciated. We are on Twitter at Melissa as well. And if you prefer Discord for a more kind of chatty environment, we are on Discord. And if you would like the invite link, please message Momo or myself and leave your feedback. We love it. Yeah. Literally, you have no excuse not to talk to us. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, And for those of you that are even more old school, we have a good old fashioned email address. Yeah. And if you're even more old fashioned than that, you can message me personally and I might even give you my postal address and you can write me a letter. Or even more old fashioned, come visit me in Canterbury. My postcode is. (laughs) (laughs) You can send you can send a pigeon. (laughs) <laughs> on that note, go. not not on the pigeon note, but on on that note overall, we would like to give a shout out to all 399 of our Tumblr followers. Oh, is it that many? It or... is that many. I was just looking it up because we forgot to mention anything ever since we had our first hundred, and I kept thinking, gosh, we really should say something. But now we are up to 399. I get uh, subscription emails on a weekly basis for this and we are really really grateful to all of you we hope that actually almost all 400 of you are actually listening to the podcast and are just (laughs) following us for the heck of it so yeah if you are listening if there's 400 of you you know come and talk to us absolutely we love it (laughs) we do love it as you can tell because you listen to us and you hear us talk to you (laughs) I believe it's been pretty much a year since we started the podcast. Is that it, right, Mom? It it has been. It really yeah. has been. It's uh, our our very first episode aired on the first Sunday in October last year. So this is it. This is the one year anniversary then of the day of recording. Yes, it is <laughs> our one Today? year. Well, no, it still isn't. Well, it sort of is. We're recording on the day that our first episode went up. The first episode was actually recorded before that. But in a way, it is our one-year anniversary. Even even almost to the date, because our first episode aired on the 8th of October. Oh. (laughs) I know. Can you believe it's been a year, guys? Can you believe it's been a year? Yes. So yeah, I think that's a great time to introduce a new category, don't you think? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so we have Mr. Bradley James to talk about today. Yes. Oh, who is, the yes, best who one. is lovely. <laughs> Sorry. It's just he is the best one. In my opinion, he um, is the best one. I know, not in yours. No, I just in mine. Katie's pretty awesome. Like like in terms of when you meet her, I feel like Okay, fair. That's she's fair. the yeah, I I, that is totally, I agree with that, that Katie, I mean, I have never met any of them, so I wouldn't know personally, but from what I hear, I'm sure that Katie is probably the best one to meet. Mm. At the same time, for me, personally, Bradley is the nicest to look at. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and I also, I I mean, I have said this before, I I think Colin is a tremendous actor. And so are many others on this show. But just watching Bradley just gives me shivers many times. And people underestimate him so much. Oh, yeah. 
So anyway, let's start at the beginning. He was born on the 11th of October, 1983. So as, a, as of listening to this episode, when you do happy belated birthday, his 35th. I'm so glad someone's older than me. <laughs> there are many people older than you, Momo. <laughs> many. <laughs> Including Merlin, who's been roaming the earth for a thousand years. <laughs> Uh, it never feels like people are older than me. Oh, please. <laughs> anyway, he was born in Exeter as Bradley James Gregory. That's right, people. James is his middle name, and the man has actually three first names for a full name. Because he is ridiculous, and I love him. <laughs> uh, his parents moved him to Florida when he was nine. And then he came back to the UK for high school. Like, I don't know why they went to Florida, I don't think that's really mentioned somewhere. I'm I'm not sure if he ever talked about it. But well, I think his his dad still lives there and his mom is back in the UK. It could have been um like there's quite a fashion I mean maybe not in the 80s but I know now there's a big fashion for UK people just kind of moving all over the place and especially to these kinds of places like Florida um because the houses there, well, I don't, again, I don't know much about the the USA housing market, but I know that the amount of house you can get for your buck there is very, very good compared to um, a similar kind of place here in England. Uh, so I, quite a few people tend to do it. They do it with Australia. They do it with Florida. They do it with any of these kind of uh, states where things are a bit cheaper. And so it, it it could have been that they just fancied to kind of go and have a better quality of life. And maybe the dad got a job out there or something. It's uh, it's not out, out of the question, but it's quite. Yeah, I um, it was quite early on for that to be happening. But maybe people who are actually alive in the 80s can tell me if that was the case, because I was born in 93. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they wouldn't have moved there until the early 90s, because like I said, Bradley was nine when they moved. So that would have right. been 1992 or 1993, more likely. So, you were just a baby then. No, I was born in 93, yeah. So, I was yeah. just born, or, or or I was a fetus. <laughs> yes. Oh, dear. I, I was I was in school. <laughs> anyway, like I said, they came back, or like, he came back to the UK for high school. And back then, he wanted to be either a professional football player, that's soccer for the American listeners, or an actor. And football is still his passion, so just check his Instagram for what he did during the World Cup this year and you'll know. And he also plays cricket, which he does at least once a year for a charity tournament thing. With Cricket other... sucks. <laughs> cricket literally is so lame. It's just the most British game you can play other than standing around in a room judging people. <laughs> It's, oh God, I just can't with. So then later on, Bradley trained at the London Drama Center. And that's about all I have for his early life. He is, if you're interested, six foot tall. That's a meter in 83 centimeters. And I feel like that's important information, which is why I included it. Like he's taller than me and I'm, not that it's hard to be taller than me because I'm a meter and 70 centimeters tall, but... Still, I like that he's taller than me. <laughs> I'm a meter 60, so he's yeah, considerably... You're tiny. I'm very small, and 
the thing is, I don't realize how small I am because the only reference I have when I'm looking at myself is just me. And then when I see myself in pictures with other people, I realize, oh, my God, I'm literally a fairy. I'm that tiny. <laughs> and it's just really embarrassing because I, I, I don't I don't I'm not aware I'm that short until I'm next yeah. to others. Bradley's first role was as a boxer in Lewis, which is is it a TV series, a mini series, an actual show? Is it a movie? I have never seen it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a fake I fan. No I'm a fake fan. I haven't. I've seen gift sets of fake it. I've never fan, seen the actual fake fan. Fake fan. <laughs> I've never seen the actual thing. I want to say it's probably a series or a mini series, but I would not know. But anyway, he did that in 2008. He also appeared in disconnected a bbc dramedy and if that's the one i think it is he has an incredibly badly acted sex scene in a public bathroom in that one that is the one you're thinking that is of. the one okay i once watched a part of it on youtube just to see like this part of like i think his character is also pretty sleazy but like that scene honestly is it is so terrible <laughs> yeah Oh, God, I still have nightmares. <clears throat> Yeesh. Anyway, things got better because then he was cast as author for BBC's Merlin, which I hope was not based on the sex scene. Like, I hope they did not cast him based on that. And I I feel like this role definitely counts as his breakthrough. Do you think? For sure. Like, it's the same for all of them. Maybe Bar Angel. Um, I mean... I think that and, well, well Anthony and and Richard like oh, oh yeah apologies I meant like for the for like the poor, young for four. The young yeah. ones yeah because Angel although I hadn't personally seen her in anything I know she'd been in an, in a in a in a cameo of Doctor Who uh but I I heard from a commentary in season 5 that she had that she was the uh, she was quite an experienced actress and she was nearly 30 at the time so it makes sense that she would have done more than the others. Katie literally was plucked out of nowhere for this and Colin had obviously done that one episode of Doctor Who as well. Um but yeah they were all I think you, I think we can safely say for the give or take it was a breakthrough for all four of them. Mm -hmm. They were very young especially Bradley and Colin to be cast in a very like serious bbc definitely. series so yeah that, great great job bradley <laughs> yeah and you can definitely well i feel like you can definitely see bradley grow as an actor over the course of those five years yes but i would i will just repeat myself i still think that even in the beginning despite the terrible sex scene from disconnected which we will never discuss if possible um that in Merlin, I still think he was he was a really good actor even in the beginning. Like his his comedic timing timing is just it's just amazing. Um, but he even did the more serious scenes well. He may not have been on Colin's level at the beginning, maybe, but he definitely was pretty high up there. Like I still think that Bradley from the beginning was really really good and solid actor and not nearly as bad as people thought he was. I wasn't aware, A, that people ever thought he was bad, and B, I actually, because I I do prefer Colin's performances, not by any large margin, it's just more to my taste, because I love 
the angst like right. the, he 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 does get more to do um especially like for the emotional stuff and it is his show but i think that bradley arguably has the harder job of the two of them he has to um be pretty unlikable but at the same time still likable and that doesn't necessarily like he can't have a long period of time in which to change that he needs to be within the same scene sometimes likable and unlikable and within two episodes you have him behaving really poorly towards Merlin in the beginning by Valiant when he's like stood by that fireplace and saying I have to fight if I die it's my duty you need to actually be rooting for him and then in the next episode, he needs to be awful again. He has, I think, the harder job of the two of them. Merlin in season one is literally just meant to be a happy-go-lucky guy that's kind of emo, like, <laughs> yeah, like about his magic. He's, you know, he has a secret and he's sad about it and he wants to be recognized. Uh, Bradley really um, has a tough job, and I think he did it really well because we all like Arthur, even though he's not that of a nice guy and we actually like the fact that he's not a nice guy <laughs> and that's hard yes. i mean this is not necessarily untrue but i think what biased people a bit towards thinking that he was a a not so good actor in the beginning is that especially in the beginning of merlin it feels a bit like bradley is basically just playing himself mm. because they're both you know they're both lads like Bradley is still a lad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, to to American listeners, that basically means something like I a don't dude know, bro, a, a dude bro, a bit of a fret boy, probably something yep. in that in that vein. Like yeah, bro, bro is a good is a good description, but I, but just you know British, so he's a lad. And I mean, like I said, that is true to an extent of Bradley. Like at least his public persona, that is true. But at the same time, that does not necessarily mean that he can't be just good at his job. You know, that's... Absolutely. Yeah. Especially when, especially in the scenes when Arthur is less of a lad and more of a of an actual person. <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to get into it more when we talk about his performance on Merlin, but I feel like I've noticed times... Uh, when he behaves more laddish or more like Bradley and when he behaves more Prince, like I, I, I can never tell if those choices are deliberate or not, but I definitely have noticed them now that I'm obviously rewatching it for Merlis and you, you just pick things up way more than you kind of did when you were just watching it casually. But I think, um, what's really interesting about what you're saying about Bradley seeing as, you know, this is an episode about him and his personality, yeah, he's a lad, but weirdly enough, um, I feel like that's kind of a perception that maybe has grown through fandom because when I actually watch him, especially like in the video diaries of season one, it's strange because he does like that isn't what he's like. Like if you look at him and Colin, like Colin is dark and brooding and very shy and kind of doesn't say much. And Bradley is very much like, yeah, he's outgoing, but he doesn't exhibit many laddish behaviors. He's actually very sensitive and he's often like, the one that's you know being very self-deprecating and oh, yeah. and admitting on camera that he had all the Buffy box sets and that oh, he fangirled when he met Anthony and um he's very 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 willing to exhibit 
a lot of um, tenderness and emotions towards Colin and complimenting Colin and being nice about Colin. You don't often get that with guys. Like, I feel like Lad, to me, is something a little different. Like, yeah, he does have that cheeky boy quality, but I don't know if he is a lad. I think he's actually a very sensitive guy that just kind of, like, like, it's a bit cheeky. I don't know if maybe, like, you would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that the the lad image is probably also something that's grown more in recent years, maybe. Like, I feel like through his... The self-deprecating humor definitely is something he still has and uses a lot on his social media. But I also see him just occasionally Instagramming or tweeting about, about his friends and then he would always, well not always, but often mention stuff like, I don't know, playing football, loving football. Like, it's just, I mean, he's a fan, but he's yeah. a he's a a fan boy and fan boys are not exactly the same as fan girls no and not just because of the obvious change in the word <laughs> and the different gender uh but like like sports fan boys are different from tv show fan girls oh sure. absolutely sports sure. fandom even, is, yeah. even honestly even sports fan girls are different from sports fan boys <laughs> Exactly. And TV show fanboys are closer to sports fan fanboys than... Anyway, you get my point. Yeah, I um... get your point. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like um, it's it's more kind of, I think, when I think of the word lad, the connotations I have more uh, is someone that is quite... Um, a bit of a wheeler dealer, a bit of a Dell boy, a bit of a, you know, kind of can get away with anything. I'm, I'm best friends with a lot of guys like this. And so, and like, that's not to say that they're bad people. Like, I'm not saying these in a negative way because I, I think they're all hilarious, but there is definitely personality traits there with my best friends that I don't really see in Bradley apart from the fanatic about football, which they all have in common. <laughs> like, they all love it. And it, you know, sitting in the pub with them, discussing what players got swapped and who played what position uh is you know i can't be mad at them because i do it with fictional characters but it's nice to see them passionate about something <laughs> um yeah i i feel like bradley and i think it might be the actor in him i think actors male actors almost um in in my opinion are more sensitive by default because they have to be in tune with their feelings like how can they not be when they're acting <laughs> Like, you know, you can't be completely switched off um, if you're meant to be accessing emotion for a living. Like, you can't. Yeah, that's so. Yeah. And in my experience, lads don't really get emotional. Like, you won't hear them. Uh, like, m maybe in private, they'll be like, oh, my God, I love that guy so much. But I don't think they'd say it very much in public. That's my perception anyway. They can be quite, like macho i don't really get that impression from bradley i think maybe because he's like blonde and blue-eyed and good looking it kind of seems that way but i think he's probably like a, like a bit of a fluffy pair of slippers like as opposed to you know <laughs> i don't know that could just be my impression of him but he is a bit like you know he can be a little bit um like i said when i met him once and i asked him like 
I didn't think it was inappropriate. Like it was just something people do. I asked him if he could blow a kiss to the camera for my best friend who couldn't be there and like she loves him. And he was a bit like, I'm not blowing a kiss to the camera. And I was like, right, sit down, Pedro. <laughs> like I'm not asking you to make out with it. Just blow a kiss to the camera. Don't be so like difficult. Um, so yeah, like he probably has some of that, but, um, yeah, I think he's, I think he's probably just a sweetheart. I, I mean, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think he's, He's probably a really dear and good person and friend to those who who can call him friend. Like I yes. honestly think that that people who are his friends probably count themselves lucky because I mean obviously we can't ever know the real Bradley because he's he's a celebrity and we don't know how much of the public persona we see is his like personal persona but i still feel like i get the sense or we get the sense that bradley the person is a really sweet a really sweet man who you know who's loyal to his friends and and like who people like to hang out with you know so because yeah. i don't think that the people who often show up in his instagram posts are all paid actors and especially when he's in the U.S., he frequently posts group pictures of people he hangs out with. So he must have friends. <laughs> <laughs> so after 2012, once Merlin had finished, he sort of disappeared for a bit. And I mean, I don't know if this is necessarily true. I don't think he's ever really commented on that. But I think that there's like, um, at least in fandom... An understanding that this was because most roles that he was offered after Merlin were roles like Arthur Pendragon and Bradley mm. just wanted to do something else like acting was his passion and obviously he wanted to work and earn money but at the same time he didn't want to be typecast for the same role over and over again yeah um I think we had a conversation on a previous episode that got cut because it literally I think it was after we'd finished the episode and we just like carried on chatting so I might as well mention it here because it's actually relevant <laughs> um I I have a very difficult time with actors that do this uh the Merlin actors have been quite like especially the main four Katie I mean she's kind of gone on to do other things now but um I feel like especially with Bradley, um, he's he's become a bit more open to, you know, interacting with Merlin fans now. Like for the 10th anniversary, he posted something really sweet and things like that. But as a rule, I've noticed that um, and this could just be an impression that I get and that maybe they're just shy. But I feel like not that they're embarrassed, but I feel like they feel frustrated or or felt frustrated from the attention that they were getting to do with Merlin even after it aired. Um, and I do understand that, but I think it always really warms my heart when I see actors, and I mentioned in the previous discussion, someone like Mark Hamill, who, you know, will be known as Luke Skywalker or the Joker for the rest of his days, probably more 
I would maybe argue more as Luke Skywalker. Yeah. And, you know, he's done other things, but when you see him now, who's, you know, he's a, he's a mature man. He's not a young man anymore. And he goes to interviews and he revels in it. He laughs and he, you know, memes and he, um, talks about the old times and tells stories and he interacts and is involved with the Star Wars fandom still and still is participating in the films and is excited about it and happy to do it. And, I guess when I see something like that versus something like, and I know Merlin's not on the same scale as Star Wars, like I do understand that, but the opportunities that it afforded these guys um, to do and to basically earn a living, I guess I'm surprised that they kind of um, uh, felt like they needed to distance themselves from the fans or from, you know, the concept of the show in general. And I mean, if the rumors that I've heard of how brutal the last few seasons like in terms of the schedule was especially five i can like i can understand that they were just exhausted but yeah like you said he went off the radar for quite a while and i remember thinking is he even earning money like is he homeless because he yeah in in 12 2012 he did fast girls yeah yeah um, he did that that movie about the olympic track racing team girls track racing team mm uh, in in which he played Carl, the physio with the floppy hair and broken dreams. But yeah, I don't think, like, at least I'm pretty sure I checked his IMDb and there's nothing on it between 2012 and then 2015 when he reappeared apart from that one episode of Homeland in 2014, of which I know nothing except that he's playing a soldier or police officer with awful hair uh, because I've seen pictures. But yeah, I wonder what he did in in all the time. Was he still living off of his Merlin and Fasquel salary? Was he, I don't know, temping at a grocery store? I don't, <laughs> I don't. Did he sleep on his mom's couch? Maybe he was doing. Um, uh, maybe he was playing football on the download for, uh, for a living. Um, who knows? I don't. Know. I, I don't. Know. I feel like no matter what he did, some fans would have found him. Probably, mm -hmm. because especially after 2012, they were all still hyped about it and probably would have stalked him to death. Yeah. So I don't think there was really much he could have done in that time. But uh, just quickly coming back to what you said about, you know, a role following you all your career. Yeah. I mean, since you brought him up as an example, I don't know enough about Mark Hamill to know much about his career, despite that, you know, Luke Skywalker, the Joker probably yeah. a bunch of other roles and now Luke Skywalker again and extremely chill about it. But I wonder maybe he had a phase when he was just over it for a while, which is why he maybe did the Joker because that was voice acting and not face acting, you know? Yeah. Like I honestly, I don't know enough. Like I'm, I'm not claiming that this is at all true because I'm sure someone will slide into the comments and be like, actually, uh, which fine, please do it. Educate me. Um, and like like you've also mentioned that in recent years, Bradley has been more chill about the whole thing. Like he's, he, well, not super frequently, but occasionally makes comments about being King Arthur or having played King Arthur. Like I remember like at least three instances off the top of my head, including the 10 year anniversary shout out. But also there was a thing where he posted a picture of himself with one of the paper crowns that you get out of uh, poppers on Christmas, where he was like, King Arthur is back. There is one, there was one time 
when during the World Cup, where he sat down and redubbed a scene from Diamond of the Day to make it fit for the World Cup. Okay. <laughs> like he used that scene in which and like it starts out the same as a dialogue in that scene where Arthur stands up to like stands in front of the army and gives them a pep speech basically. And and then you you don't even realize that it's different from the show until he starts talking about football and winning the World Cup for England. <laughs> and you're just like, wait, this isn't England. <laughs> this isn't football. <laughs> what? But so he definitely has accepted that he has been King Arthur. And he does mention it occasionally. He even memes about, well, not meme memes, but definitely jokes about it often enough now. So he definitely has come to term with it and is and is cool with it. It just took him a little while to mm. get there, I think. And I wonder if that is true for other for other people who have been in big franchises as well. Like especially if it's been their breakthrough. I mean, again, coming off of the Harry Potter marathon, um, I'm sure that uh, at least I don't know of anyone who was in the Potter franchise in a in a like either in a major role or in a bigger role that minds being associated with it. Like Daniel Radcliffe surely doesn't. Tom Felton doesn't. None of the young actors really do. And I wonder if that's just because they grew into it as they were children and just resigned themselves, to, like early on realized this is what we'll always be, you know. Mm. And and the older actors, even they, I've never heard one of them. Like, I don't, I don't think um, Jason Isaacs minds being Lucius Melfer until the day he dies. Yeah. <laughs> For example, <laughs> you know, and uh, so I doubt that's that's an issue for them because, like, the more mature actors, they're fine with it because they know they have more to go in and they know that there will always be fans who have known them from something else before they knew them from Harry Potter, but especially the young actors like Emma Watson, Rupert Grint, Daniel Radcliffe, Tom Felton, everyone else, they know they'll always be that kid from Harry Potter. And similarly, um, the people who have been in Lord of the Rings, like definitely Orlando Bloom and Viggo Mortensen and everybody else, they all have done different things before and after. But obviously the first thing you think when you hear Orlando Bloom is, ah, the dude with the blonde hair and the pointy ear. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, that's just... That's just how it is. And I but still I wonder if that is a thing where like if it's been your breakthrough role and then you only get known for that, you know, maybe you need some time to adjust to the idea that mm. and also with Merlin, I don't think anyone who was involved in Merlin, no the actors, the writers, the directors, the producers, I don't think anyone expected Merlin to be that much of a hit and to be yeah. that popular and to still be that popular long after it ended. I don't think any of them expected that. No. <laughs> so, you know, and then to have that thing that you thought was just going to be a small gig for you be the thing that you re get recognized for for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> or at least okay. the rest of your acting career. <laughs> it's just probably a bit surreal, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I guess if I were in their shoes, I can't predict how I would have taken it. But I imagine if I was an actor fresh out of drama school, desperate for a job and this happened to me, 
I can't imagine I'd be anything but eternally grateful mm. for every one that like I mean at first he might have been yeah yeah oh yeah I'm sure he was you showed me you showed me the video diaries just a couple of weeks ago like from like the very first ones and from the filming of season one and Bradley was always addressing the camera with hello Merlin fans so he was yeah. clearly excited about having fans even though they didn't have any yet you know, he was like, hello, Merlin fans, today. So, <laughs> it's just adorable. You know, yeah. obviously he was excited about it. I just think that after, especially with, like, work getting heavier and, like like you said, if the rumors about the the schedule of the last couple of seasons is true, then it just, it wears on you and it just, it tears you down. And I think that's that's part of what what went into that, you know. And then... I have been on this rant before, but now it's actually relevant to the topic. Yay, me! Um, is that <laughs> I do feel a bit bad for the guy when, you know, he's filming, for example, Medici in Italy, and people make an effort to A, find out what he's doing now, B, find out where he's doing it, and then C, go to that place where they know they can meet him, before he goes to film another thing and still all they do is show him all the all the pictures of Arthur just keep talking to him about how he's been King Arthur and how that you know how he how much they loved him in this role and then maybe even go on to ask him oh when is season six coming even if they're just doing it you know as a joke just to put yourself in this man's shoes. He's been working hard for a couple of years now in different roles. There are clearly fans who have spent enough time following his career and figuring out what he's doing to know where he is now. And still, all they want to talk about is Merlin. Which, fair enough, yeah. to them, that might be important. Like, to them, Merlin might be his most important role because it means something for them personally. And... I'm sure that if they told him that, he won't mind. But I honestly doubt that all the dozens of people who went to see him, especially, like, this is my prime example now, because uh, just looking at the pictures of him whenever someone accosted him during the Medici filming, it's just painful because he looks so tired and, uh, like, in pain uh, emotionally. It's just, I don't think that, that all of the dozen people who went to see him there who took pictures with him, who had him sign pictures of him as author, I don't think all of them had a deep emotional connection to Merlin that they told him about to justify that in his mind. Like, I just, you know, yeah. That's just how I, how I feel like I wish more of the fans who went to see him would actually talk about other things with him or just show him more that you know they loved him in other things other than Merlin yeah um I think that I find that a little bit difficult to kind of relate to because I think that I'm more on the side of siding with the you know uh, look, there are shitty fans, like there really are, but the majority of us are nice, I think, and it's just the ones that aren't are the loudest, and so that's why people think that fans are really awful. But I think that if you've traveled all the way to a foreign country to see your favorite and, you know, 
he happens to be filming something else and that's how you know he's going to be there you know you're going to be able to meet him you've dreamt about meeting him forever and all you've seen him in is Merlin because it just so happens that you know that was the only character you kind of cared about and maybe you didn't care to see other things he was in like just as my personal example I don't like um uh like zombie stuff so I wouldn't watch iZombie like I don't really like uh I don't watch a lot of modern shows like in general. So like, for example, it just wouldn't be something that would interest me. But if I knew that I could go to see someone that I really, really loved and had like a poster that I'd wanted them to sign since forever and had one chance to tell them like this role, like I loved you in this role. I, I, I really don't think I can like feel bad about people doing that. And I feel like I like to think Bradley probably doesn't mind because I hope he has you know, the sense to know that, you know, these people, like, it takes a lot, like, I'm, I'm quite an outgoing person, like, so I will just go up and talk to strangers. But for some people, it takes a lot for someone to go up to a stranger, let alone someone you admire, and actually say something to them. So I would think that he probably knows that. Um, obviously, we can't read his mind. <laughs> so we don't know. Um, yeah, I think it's a really tricky tricky subject but i think as long as people are doing it really respectfully which i imagine i imagine they are but like even if they're not you know waxing poetic about how much merlin meant to them but just saying like oh i loved you in this role can you sign my poster because like when else are they going to get the chance if he's not going to conventions and they know he's filming in this location and like and and they can go you know can we really blame them (laughs) it's like you know like i don't think i can yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, it's really hard. I I will concede that probably the ones we like, the ones that I take offense with, is just, is probably the minority, because they're the loudest ones. Yeah. Um, it's it's just not being obnoxious. Like I remember when Colin was uh, what was it, Twelfth Night? That was right after Merlin, wasn't it? Yeah. And he was in the play. Obviously, it's a play as well. It's live. And there were Merlin fans in the audience that were shouting out, like, Merlin-related things, apparently, during the performance, which is unacceptable. Yes. Um, I think had they gone to the play purely because they were a Merlin fan and went to see Colin purely because they were a Merlin fan and then had met him backstage and talked to him about Merlin, or, like, sorry, not backstage, but at the stage door... I don't really see a problem with that personally because I don't think it's disrespectful. I think they're still appreciating him as an actor and it just so happens that this was the way they could appreciate him in person. I think that's kind of sweet. Like even when the person isn't in the thing you like, you're still going out of your way to support them. I think that's kind of cool, but I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Although I will say that, uh, you know, this is a very specific example, obviously, but if you go to see someone in a play and then afterwards go to the stage door to meet them and then don't at least mention their performance in the play, that is incredibly mm. rude. Like, you've literally yeah. just seen it. There is nothing stopping you from saying, oh, I thought you were wonderful in this. I especially like that part. And I got here... Because I loved you in Merlin, and I'm so excited to see you on stage. And then, you know, like, if you... I mean, obviously, I don't know if anyone actually does this, but, like, if you've literally just sat through a play with someone, and then don't at least mention the play when you meet them at the stage door, 
that to me is also unacceptable. Like it's not on the same level of badness as actually shout shouting out other things during the performance. Like that's a whole other level of wow, I can't believe you did that. But like that is like if you meet them afterwards then you have to mention the play or admit that you haven't actually seen it and have just been loitering at the backstage door because uh, at the stage door because you knew he was going to be there like i yeah that's just something where i'm like you don't go see someone's performance and then don't talk about it with them if you get the chance to meet them like that's just i would find that incredibly rude if someone did that to me yeah I don't like know. Just, I really like don't literally know. a sentence of, "Oh my gosh, I thought you were amazing on stage. This role, you really brought the role to life. Like literally, you don't even have to mean it, honestly. But you have yeah, to yeah. acknowledge that you just watched this thing and that you watched it for them, probably. Like you just, you just don't not mention it. <laughs> I think it's just having sense. It's just having common sense and basic social skills. And basic social skills, you know, when you talk to other people, don't charge up to someone and just go, Merlin, you know, clearly. Um, but I but I do think I'm very, very firmly on the side of I see absolutely no issue with you attending or going to see someone doing something completely unrelated to the thing you like and talking to them about the thing you like, because I think especially when it's in this business actors honestly are usually grateful just to have a job uh, and grateful to be employed. And I think that the majority of them will greatly appreciate, especially if it's been five years since your character's not been on air, people still so passionate about it. And I'm sure Bradley does. Like I said, it's just, he went off the radar for a bit, probably to sleep actually in hindsight, <laughs> probably as opposed to being angry about Merlin. Yeah. I mean, this is all speculation anyway, because we don't actually know what Bradley thinks. Bradley, if you're listening, call me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's going to call you. <laughs> no, I don't think either. But yeah, to conclude and to bring this discussion that I didn't even intend to have on this episode, but it's fine. It's, it's, uh, I mean, it's valid. It's, it's like it's, relevant. It, it, is, it is actually relevant. So it's, it's all right. But uh, to conclude, my feelings are... If you're going to see someone like a celebrity at a place of work that has nothing to do with the reason why you want to see them, i.e. going to a play to see an actor you've known from a TV show or going to the to the set of another TV show for an actor that you've seen in a movie, um, at least make an effort to acknowledge that they are doing something else now that you hope it's going to be great or that you thought it is going that it's going well. And then talk about the other thing. Just, you know, mm -hmm. let the person know that that you don't think they are, the, that you appreciate them outside of this character, maybe a little bit, you know. Yes, I, I feel, agree. I feel like that is, that is a rule of thumb. Just let this person know that you're not the kind of fan who thinks that they are the character that they play, that you know that they are an actor who does other things with their with their work than just playing this one character. Yes. All right. Okay, moving on. I had a really funny quote that I wanted to bring up with Fast Girls, but then sort of got uh, swallowed. But I still, because it's it's just, it's such a Bradley thing to say that I want to say it. Because there is a, 
there's a little promo video where Bradley recorded a message for the premiere of Fast Girls because he couldn't be there. And he, like in the video, he claimed that he couldn't be there because Noel Clark put a restraining order on him <laughs> after a massage gone wrong. And Bradley literally said in the video, Noel, call me. We can talk about it. I don't have to be naked next time. <laughs> that is brilliant. And that is just, that is Bradley's humor in a nutshell, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, like I said, he did one episode of Homeland in 2014. And then the first time we really saw him was uh, in 2015 when he played a minor character in iZombie. And his name in that show is Lowell Tracy. And he was the love interest for the main character for a couple of episodes. He played a musician in black skinny jeans with dark brown hair. And he gave us... when like, um, For anyone who hasn't seen iZombie, it's literally people get turned into zombies. But they can function more or less normally as long as they get uh, get some human brains into them. like Like eat human brains. And then they take on the character traits of the person whose brain they ate for a little while. And also, every zombie gets really pale skin and their hair turns uh, white or platinum blonde. Awesome. So, and, and Bradley's character on this show had brown hair before he got turned into a zombie. And then he keeps dyeing his hair brown to, to keep his <laughs> natural look. And he literally said, I'd look freaky as a blonde. Which every Merlin fan, as they watched this, went, wait, what? <laughs> I don't think that's right. <laughs> <laughs> he also said, because of the aforementioned taking on character traits of the person whose brain they ate, I'm gay, because he once ate the brain of a gay person. And following the I'm gay quote, there's, I saw a magazine with Idris Elba on the cover and the phrase big piece of yum popped into my head. Which again, <laughs> same. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, these are just some of the incredibly great quotes from his character on iZombie. And if you can stand to watch something zombie related, I recommend watching the couple of episodes he's in. This is also, for anyone interested, the last TV or movie role that he had with his old nose. Aww. Yeah, he still has his old notes in that one. And the next thing we had was in 2016, in which he played Damien, the series that follows the Omen movie, and for which Bradley played the title character, the Antichrist, Damien Thorne, who was then all grown up. And his hair was also dyed a darker blonde for that one, but at least we have a couple of gratuitous shirtless scenes and nearly naked Bradley in this show. <laughs> I mean, there was a there was a nearly naked. No, there were two nearly naked scenes in iZombie. Anyway, I get sidetracked just thinking about that. Oh god! Bradley in Black Boxer Briefs was still definitely a sight to behold. Coming back to Damien, we get to watch him handle delicate photography equipment because he's a war photographer on the show, and the light just like. The, the director and and the cinematographer just knew what they were doing because the light loves him. They really played with the whole Satan equals Lightbringer symbology here and just put Bradley in really beautiful lighting in the show. 
And then I have friends who constantly rave about how much they enjoy watching him being hurt in this show. And, well, he does get hurt a lot, like emotionally and physically. So if you're into that, or at least can handle watching it, watch it. Because it's definitely creepy and, and gory. So it's not for the for the super faint of heart. It's definitely not for you, Roxanne. I had a feeling. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I mean, there are scenes like there might even be episodes that you won't mind, but um, seeing how there aren't even that many episodes to begin with, I think you'd have to leave out at least half of them, if I'm honest. Uh, I, I, it's fine. I'm not in a hurry to watch it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't planning on it. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, it was cancelled after the first season and. Like, on Twitter, Bradley is still occasionally sad about that. So I think he honestly was sad about it because I think he had a lot of fun playing this character and he thought probably that was a really good challenge for him, which I feel is true because uh, he was really great in it. Like, honestly, the way the show was cut and some of how it was written is probably not the greatest and probably the reason it got cancelled. But Bradley himself, he was amazing. And we have one memorable quote from him from one of the very early promo videos, which was, I think, the first sighting of his new nose, in which he says, My name is Bradley James, and I play Damien in a show called Damien. And it's just, I love this man so much. <laughs> just, you have, to, you have to watch the video and just look at his face when he says it. Like, he's so sarcastic about it. He's just like... And I play Damien in a show called Damien. <laughs> it's amazing. There was also the movie in the Underworld series. And the movie is called Blood Wars. And he plays Varga, the vampire boy toy of Lara Pulver. And that is literally his role. Like, <laughs> he's the Great. boy toy. And... I wish I wish you could stand to watch this movie because it's just hilarious. I mean, he obviously he has other things to do, but the only thing ever, anyone ever takes away from this movie is, like in terms of what Bradley did in it, Bradley is the boy toy of Lara Pulver's character. Brilliant. That's that's all he does. I love it. Like there is literally a scene where she they're, they're talking or like she's talking at him and he's trying to offer an opinion, and she basically shuts him up by telling him to get on his knees and eat her out. And he does. So, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you can't watch that scene because there's nothing gory about okay. it. Okay, <laughs> okay. You can I'll, send it to I'll me find later. You, I'll find your link on YouTube. <laughs> you can send it to me later. It's not often that I'm... Uh, introduced to uh to a uh, 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 sub arthur i'm not really <laughs> i'm not really into it uh for anyone i mean i'm pretty sure i don't hide it but it's not <laughs> i i prefer him on the other end of the spectrum but this will be interesting to see how he performs in the role so <laughs> for yeah. research for yes research. do it for science <laughs> i will yes very good <laughs> And then in 2017, we got Bounty Hunters, which is a show I didn't watch because I find it horribly dull and annoying. But I did pick out all the Bradley scenes because he plays identical twins who have seriously incestuous wives. 
And there is a quote that is very famous among the Bradley fans who have seen it. And it goes something like this. Uh, it's a like one twin starts a sentence and the other twin finishes the sentence. So the, twin, the quote goes, My brother and I are lovers. Of art! And it's just... It's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's just... <laughs> That's the and kind like, of humor I can get behind. And like, during that loaded pause, like, it's just, you see the, like, the, they're giving a speech and you just see the the room, the, the audience in the room just going, wait, what? Nah. What? <laughs> Before the other twin finally finishes the sentence. And it's just, yeah, there are, there are more scenes like that like they live alone together in a giant mansion even though one of them is married to a woman who apparently doesn't live in the same house as them they they uh they basically do everything together there are there are very subtext loaded loaded scenes between them and they are twins <laughs> identical twins and it's just the whole vibe you get from them is very incestuous and i'm sure that that's intentional and apparently there's a second season in the making and Bradley's probably part of it. I mean, there is a season two listed on his agent's website for Bradley, so I'm assuming he's going to be part of it. And then more recently, he's been filming Medici season two, in which he plays Giuliano de Medici, for which we have had, I think, two, uh, a couple of trailers so far. And in one of them, he is naked except for a sheet covering his groin so that's good <laughs> so every episode of merlin <laughs> well no giuliano gets painted next to a woman i don't think arthur ever got painted at all let alone half naked or mostly <laughs> naked what a shame it, it truly is it truly is also being in you know it being Medici, a Netflix production, and after seeing Medici season one, I'm confident that there's gonna be at least one sex scene. Like what with him one. in it? Yeah, I hope so. <gasps> so, so many manip opportunities for uh, my vids. Yes, I mean people have also already started maniping them because you had Colin in The Happy Prince and then mm -hmm. Medici, and like occasionally Colin looks very much. Like, especially when he isn't wearing that much, you know, that, that just works for the whole crossover manips, so. Yeah, the only problem is the hair. Like, I, I don't, to... I don't, I mean, not to make this into a Colin episode, but I don't, I don't mind the hair in The Happy Prince. Oh, yeah, yeah, but Listen, like, it doesn't look anything like Merlin's hair, is what I'm saying. I mean, it's, it could just be, you know, I mean, other people have gone with the author with brown hair in iZombie and made it into AUs, like modern AUs in which Arthur dyed his hair on a dare. Okay. It could just be a different reincarnation of Merlin and him trying to make himself look different so people won't recognize that he's the same dude who lived there 20 years ago. I, I don't know. I'm sure people will come up with ideas. I'm not worried about it. He has also been working on a World War II movie set in Warsaw. Woo! And it's been filmed very recently, and the movie is going to be called The Courier. He's been he's been in Warsaw at least twice at this point for a couple of days to film this, so we'll see how big his role actually is going to be. And he still does the occasional fashion or just beauty photo shoot. Like in early September, he did one for 
at the the Tiger E9 bar for something with menswear, and we're still waiting for those pictures to come out. Longer ago, he did the one for Bello magazine. That was, I think, in 2016. To, I mean, that was to sort of, you know, promote Damien, I think, and also, like, introduce him more to the American audience, because apart from iZombie, I think that's the, the only th- American TV show thing he had done at this point. And, like, he was going to be in several American productions at that time. Like I said, iZombie, Damien underworld so he just i think that's part of the reason why they did this photo shoot slash interview for bello magazine in 2016 just to introduce bradley to the americans and also show the people his new nose so speaking of his nose why why do we think he changed his nose i mean i think it's 100 percent the fucked up beauty standards of the especially of the usa and his desire to be cast more in American productions. But maybe other people have other other theories. It could just be that he felt insecure, you know? I mean, sometimes, you know, maybe he didn't have the money to get it done. Like, I, I mean, maybe he wasn't getting paid that much on Merlin. Like, to actually get, like, plastic surgery probably cost, you know, thousands. Maybe he just didn't want to spend the money. Uh, maybe he didn't have the time. What, why spend it when he hadn't, like... I zombie during which he still had his old nose, but like I can't imagine that I zombie the couple of episodes he was on I zombie paid him enough to to get a new nose. Like I mean, where would he have gotten the money from now after being out of a job, or at least out of an acting job for so long, and then suddenly he comes back with a new nose? Maybe it was a case of. He couldn't get it done while he was on a TV show because he would look too different. And then maybe he just didn't have the time, you know, maybe maybe he made enough money from iZombie or like because iZombie was his first real project back. Right. Like kind of a proper one. Maybe he had a regular enough paycheck from that and he had a gap before filming anything new that he thought, I'll just get it done. You know, he could have been, you know, it's possible he could have wanted it done for years, but he, yeah, just either didn't have the money or didn't have the time or the schedule of Merlin didn't permit him to do it. You know, like he couldn't just change his face. Like that's not like, yeah, like he can't do that. (laughs) I guess that's fair. Like if he genuinely didn't like it, then I like that's that or other health-related issues are literally the only reasons I can accept for him changing it. But if he did it because fucked up beauty standards, then I'm just, no. <laughs> yeah. But I think that fans do have a tendency to, like... Like, if there's something imperfect about a celebrity, I think that because we're so desperate to see them as human and just like us and relatable that we latch on to, like, the imperfections and we, like, fall in love with them because, oh, my God, like, and, like, I'm not saying everyone does. It's, like, it's possible that, like, some people genuinely, like, so I really like Colin's big ears. Like, I find them really attractive, for example. But, like, I genuinely feel like, they don't see it the same way we do. And maybe people that aren't fans don't see it the way they do. Like they see a crooked nose and they would find Bradley attractive in spite of the crooked nose, as opposed to us who kind of idolize him a bit and love every little thing about him. And are like, especially the crooked nose. So I think we're kind of coming at it from a completely different point of view than maybe regular people are, you know? Yeah. 
maybe. I don't know. Regular people. <laughs> We're not regular people. <laughs> no, probably not. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I mean, if any of our listeners have any ideas, you know, or the inside scoop, tell us. Yeah. So, shall we talk about his acting then? Yes, definitely. I mean, I've I've made a couple of notes of his like character selections, like what types of characters he tends to play. Yeah, go for because it. Because I feel like there is like a definite trend. I feel like he ends up with slightly goofy or cheeky or odd characters a lot. Like the twins in Bounty Hunters are definitely odd. And Carl in Fast Girls is definitely cheeky. And so is Lowell on iZombie. And then Varga from Blood Wars is a little different, but he barely had any personality at all, so you can't really blame that on Bradley. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other side is him being Broody McBruderson, as seen with Arthur, who also had, like, you know, a bit of the goofy, cheeky traits sometimes. But overall, I feel like Arthur was more of a of a broody character and so was Damien and so it's probably going to be uh, Giuliano in Medici is is my uh, feeling so yeah I feel like he's either like most often he's either a goofy or cheeky lad or a broody man with the weight of the world on his shoulders yeah and I mean obviously I can't judge his characters in in Lewis and Homeland because I've never seen either one of them and in Disconnect, I already said, he's a bit of a sleazy playboy character. So again, a bit of an outlier. But I, don't, I haven't seen more of Disconnect than literally that scene. So I don't know if he's if his character is any different. Like, it does, has more to him than just being sleazy and weird. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So what, uh, like, is that, do you concur or do you disagree? On, no, I think it's right. Um. I think Arthur is, it's weird, isn't it? Because with Arthur, I feel like he definitely is introduced as Cheeky McCheekerson and then he becomes yes. Broody, Broody McBrood- McBrooderson. Like, yes. he, like he is introduced as a cheeky character. So, and I actually see him as both. I would argue that he doesn't become fully Broody McBrooderson until like he becomes king. Yeah. Before that, I think he's genuine. Oh, okay. All right. No. Season three, like, the moment he sits down in that council chamber's chair, like, he becomes, like, King Arthur, like, you know. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I feel like he, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He oscillates between the two. Oh, yeah. There are times, you know, when, when it's about, when it's about making the right decision for Camelot, when there's, when there's really actual serious stuff going on, he really sinks into the brooding and the I have the weight of the world on my shoulders and I need to make the right decision. Like, then he's fully that character. And outside of that, he is very open and very happy to be the cheeky, happy person who goofs around with with his friends. Like, I feel like he oscillates between the two. And I feel like as the show goes on, he goes heavier into the brooder category than the goofy category, but it's still, it's still both there. Mm. And I would also argue that I feel like the, this is obviously also to do with the writing, but I think that, I mean, obviously 
the writing put, like mandated that Arthur be goofy and become more kingly, just like it mandated that Gwen become more queenly and Morgana become more evil. That was the format of the show. But I feel like with Arthur and his goofiness, I would argue, and this might be the Mertha shipper in me, but it doesn't really come out unless he's around Merlin. Not fully. Like he can be an asshole with those like three friends in Ep one that we never see again. <laughs> but like when he's actually being goofy and cute goofy, he's only really doing it with Merlin and Morgana, fine. But like he doesn't do it with anyone else. Like he's very serious with other people, which I which I kinda like. Yeah, I, I'm just trying to think. I don't think he does it with Gwen at all. No, he never does. Yeah. He's very, like, he's purposefully, like, a completely different person with Gwen. Like, he's very serious, very much the romantic. Yeah. Yeah, I think he does play a role with a lot of people, Um, and that role becomes, he plays the role so often it becomes who he is. There you go. <gasps> Oh my god, that was deeply philosophical. Welcome back to Merlison. There is a book that I love called Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe, where one of my favorite quotes in that book is, I wanted to laugh and laugh and laugh until I laughed myself into becoming someone else. Oh, wow. So, yeah, except... I think Arthur cries his way into being someone else. Oh so. my god, you had to say that, didn't you? I mean, he cries a lot. He <sighs> so cries a lot. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh um, so, so what do we think about his, you know, his acting style in general? Because I think that's very difficult to pinpoint, but I know, Momo, that you have a couple of things you really like about his choices. I mean, like, I have... Well, I, generally, I think that he makes really good choices about his about his acting. Like, I, there's nothing um, in his acting in Merlin, for example, that comes to mind where I'm like, why did you play it like that? Like, why why did you choose to do it like that? Or is anything that jumps out to me? So obviously, he's making the right decisions that work for me, and I've never felt like like something had been because there are other actors where I feel like. This didn't. This this choice you made here doesn't really work for me, or like where I feel like not necessarily just on Merlin, just in general, where I'm like, yeah, no, I don't think you 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 did this well, but I don't have that with with Bradley. But then again, I don't have that with a lot of other actors as well. Yeah, um, I also wouldn't really want to pretend like I know all that much about good acting. Like I only know what I what I enjoy and what I don't. So. You know, yeah. people who actually, you know, think about this more than I do and have more to do with this than I do might disagree. But, like, just one of my favorite things about his acting style is that he doesn't necessarily want to look cool in a scene. He just wants to be authentic. Like, you can tell by how he looks during fight scenes in Merlin, for example, that he makes the most ridiculous faces because he's concentrating on the fight and the emotion of the character during that fight and he does not like he doesn't fight to look cool or aloof like the actor Bradley isn't using this as an opportunity to look cool the actor Bradley is playing a character who is author who is fighting because there are evil people who need to be overpowered or killed yeah, you know, and and I feel like you can definitely 
like I said, you can tell just by looking at his face and you know he's not doing this to be, like, the actor is not trying to look cool while doing this. He just wants to be authentic because real people who fight in real sword fights to the death <laughs> don't care about looking aloof and cool while they do it. They care about surviving. Indeed. Um, I completely agree with that. And to add to the physicality of the whole acting thing, I didn't have this in my notes, but I but I just remembered it now. Um, and uh, it's something I noticed first time while watching Labyrinth of Gedref recently for when we record that episode review, that it's um, he he moves like a fighter all the time. He moves like a hunter. So, for example, in the scene where he's chasing Anhora, uh, you'll notice he's taking the steps three at a time, four at a time, or sometimes he's not taking the steps at all. He just jumps down because it's quicker because he's chasing something. And it's really interesting. <laughs> Whereas like Colin is taking the stairs like one by one. Bradley's just jumping straight down. Of course he is because he's the more athletic of the two. So it, it yeah, it's like little things like that that I think are really, really awesome. Uh, but yeah, just the way he moves in general, I think is great um it's it feels authentic it feels regal it feels like he belongs you know in those clothes in that time i think it's great because i sometimes think people forget how important even walking is like the way that you walk is really important like to uh to a character um with bradley i honestly feel like my answers are going to be similar to colin uh for this kind of thing because i think they're both actors that can really disappear into a character which is my favorite sort of actor but i do think like i said at the beginning bradley has um he has a harder job at the beginning i would probably argue as the show goes on bradley's job becomes a little bit easier because he's kind of playing one note not because of his fault but because of the way it was written arthur by season four when he becomes king and he goes through his first couple of stumbling blocks and then he's kind of by season five he's kind of doing the same thing so i think in season four he had a lot to do he had becoming king and then the betrayal with gwen and everything that that entailed and all the range he could do with that but by season five i do feel like he's kind of just king arthur at this point and that's all he's really playing but at the beginning he certainly i think had the much harder role because yeah he need he, Arthur is much more similar to Bradley than Merlin is to Colin, and yet it doesn't feel like it's Bradley. It feels like it's Arthur, and how he managed to distinguish the two is really interesting to me. Um, one of the ways in which I think he did it really well is with his accent. Now, this is something I'm really fascinated by. Everyone that listens knows I really like accents, and I notice them quite a lot when I watch things. Bradley ha uh, has a slight slight dialect please don't ask me where it's from because i wouldn't be able to tell you but it's definitely um i mean i guess it's from i don't know where exeter is if it's uh in the actually forgive me merlison listeners i shall check where is exeter <laughs> on uh on the great map of england he has slight lilts to his accent when he talks normally and what i found uh because i originally thought he'd gotten rid of all of them for arthur but he doesn't when he's with colin in a scene uh and he, and they're goofing around and stuff he really actually slips into his natural dialect a lot more 
And then when he's doing official stuff, he sounds much more like he's curbing the dialect. Now, I really couldn't like, you know, if, if I had a gun to my head, I wouldn't be able to predict if that was on purpose. He definitely doesn't really have any of that left by the time we get to seasons four and five. Like, but season one is, mm, it's a little bit like that. Like Angel had that issue as well. She sounded much more like herself in season one. And then by season two, even her accent is very clipped, very polished. Um, almost nothing of her left in there. But uh, as an example, in again, I just watched this episode recently in the Labyrinth of Gedref when Arthur walks in on Merlin just sleeping rather than guarding. <laughs> he whacks him across the hair, tells him, you know, you just make yourself comfortable. And then as he walks away, he says, and stop smacking your lips, not smacking your lips, smacking your lips like that. And it's little it's little tiny things like that where he kind of lets his natural dialect slip in. that I'm like, hmm, I don't know if that's on purpose because you're like chilled out, Prince Arthur. And then when you're amongst the nobles, you're more princely Prince Arthur. Do you reckon that might have been on purpose or it just kind of happened like that? Um, honestly, unless it's a, a stronger dialect or accent, I don't even notice. Well, I know you don't really notice it, but like if you... If I did notice it, um, I would want to believe that it was deliberate on Bradley's part. But at the same time, I'm very aware of the fact that not everything he does is a conscious acting choice. So it might as well just have been a happy coincidence. Just like Merlin, well, Colin occasionally accidentally being a little more Irish because he has to act opposite Irish people. Yeah. <laughs> and it brings out his natural <laughs> accent. So I don't know how much of it was a deliberate choice, but I'm certainly happy to accept that it was. Like if anyone, if anyone is gonna fight me over it, I'm gonna say Bradley was brilliant and did it on purpose. Like I'll yeah. I'll use it <laughs> as an excuse to find him even more amazing than I already do. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really difficult for me because I I wouldn't be able to place exactly what kind of dialect it is, and obviously it's very standardized by now. But um, if any of the British listeners that kind of maybe know a little bit more about um, his what his regional dialect would have originally sounded like, maybe they can give me a hand. I hope that people know what I'm talking about when they when I say his natural dialect that is different from the way Arthur speaks and that does occasionally slip in there with individual words. Um, yeah, I hope that you guys know what I'm talking about and maybe uh, this will be a good opportunity to leave a comment so we can discuss it because I have noticed it and I think it's really, really interesting. Um, but yeah, in terms of his actual style, um, he's just really good. <laughs> he's not, yeah, there's nothing like he's not very, I don't believe he's that method. I think he just kind of goes for it. Um, yeah, he's really good. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay, so I mean I know you've only seen you've only seen him in Merlin, but I yeah. just wanna quickly I mean ideally for other actors when this comes up you would actually have other things to say as well, but a uh, favorite production or character that he ever played. I mean I know I just went off on a rant on people who only ever see him as author. Um, but the thing is, I have seen him in other things, and I think he has been brilliant in all of them. But his favorite, like, the, the character that he played that is my favorite is still Arthur. 
least, well, it's the longest one too. At least as know? of now, it's it's still Arthur, um, purely because it's the role through which I fell in love with Bradley. So it holds a special place in my heart. And I mean, you know, I hope that I will love other like his his future characters as well. But as of now, Arthur is just the one who holds, like I said, this special place in my heart because he's he's the role that made me fall in love with Bradley as an actor, but also as a human being. Um, and I just, yeah, Arthur is... I will see Bradley as Arthur as much as I see him in other roles, but it's not so much that I see Bradley only as Arthur, it's that I see Arthur only ever as Bradley. Like, yeah. Bradley James, the actor, will be different characters to me and will first and foremost be Bradley James, the actor. But Arthur Pendragon, especially in the context of BBC's Merlin, but also, like, literally any other context now, unless I get another visual forced on me, Arthur Pendragon will always be Bradley James. Like, he will always have the face of Bradley James for me. So... That's yeah. So his my favorite character of Bradley's is Arthur, and my favorite production is probably also Merlin because because of that. Although I think he was absolutely brilliant in Damien, despite of what other things went wrong with Damien, but he was he was absolutely brilliant in it. And I'll just put this here because I don't know where else I would mention it, but I would love to see Bradley on stage just to see how he'd cope with that, because I know that stage acting is different from camera acting, because micro-expressions mean nothing on stage, because no one sees them in the audience. Yep. Uh, but I would really like to see him on stage, just to see how he copes with that. And I know he's done a little bit of stage work, but nothing, nothing recent, and nothing much in public recently. But I just, like... I know Colin does a shit ton of theater, and so do a bunch of the other Merlin actors, but Bradley doesn't. But if Bradley ever did, that's the play I would travel for, for even just a weekend to see him. Like, I probably won't travel for Colin, unless I'm already traveling. But I definitely would travel for Bradley in a heartbeat. Alright, so favorite scenes of Bradley's. And, I mean, you said it earlier, Rogs that he really shines during the emotional scenes. Yep. And just looking at our notes, I can't help but realize that with the exception of one of the of your picks, we've picked emotional stuff. <laughs> all my all my picks are emotional, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah. All, oh sorry, yeah, yeah, I mistook the the third one for something else. You're right. <laughs> um they're all emotional things. So yeah, mine is something mine is something not from Merlin, to be honest. Uh partly because I knew Rox was gonna cover this, but also because this is something that like immediately popped into my head when I made up this category. It's something from iZombie. It's the one where he starved himself for Liv, who's the main character, because she demanded that he eat ethically sourced brains. And so he went to the graveyard and tried to dig up a corpse for food after watching the funeral. And then it all just dawned on him how there are zombies and eat people. And he's just like in this scene, he is just, I, I can't even describe it. He's just so wrecked. He is so 
broken when he comes to her and tells her what he did and how much it hurt him to do this and it's just that just blew me away the first time i saw it and then again when i rewatched it just before writing my notes here and it's just ugh, breaks my heart just just thinking about it and then the rest of the the rest of the episode really because um yeah it's just oh my god bradley please stop hurting me but yeah honestly it's just anytime he has a scene during which his character is emotional or hurting in some way because he really brings it to the table like he really shines in those like you said and he really proves how good he is and that you shouldn't underestimate him just you know just because he likes to goof off behind the scenes or likes to play sometimes really weird goofy characters like the twins on bounty hunters um or because he's self-deprecating and, and adorable in in tweets and on Instagram, that doesn't mean that he doesn't know how to really rip your heart out and tear it to pieces. <laughs> because he really does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I now feel bad because I'm going to have to add two more scenes to my list. <laughs> You go for it. You go for oh, it. Oh, because one of them is actually comedic now. I felt like I should add a comedic one in there. Okay, fair enough. And one That's is good. sweet. That's good. He's yeah. also He also shines in comedy scenes. Like I said, his comedic timing is amazing. Um, So I've got three sad, one sweet, and one comedy. So it's a good mixture. <laughs> so Right. Merlin reveals his magic. I honestly <laughs> can't hope with him in this scene i look we've we were waiting for this for five years we could never have predicted what arthur's reaction was going to be whether he was going to know all along whether he wasn't going to know all along we didn't know anything and i think it's a testament to bradley's choices in this scene that from every headcanon we could have ever had he still surprised us because i can guarantee i mean i'm sure there are people out there that you know did see this coming but for me i was expecting anger i was expecting confusion i was expecting uh hatred and what i never thought he was gonna choose or be directed as was fear and it just made the scene 10 times more heartbreaking (laughs) that he's actually scared of merlin in that scene and he doesn't even have a line he doesn't even have a line after he reveals the magic he he does nothing he can't even move but he manages still somehow what he does it's it's his face and he there is there is a tiny movement of him trying yeah. to move away move away from yeah but Marlin. he can't and it's just that little movement is when literally everyone goes no and and everyone starts sobbing because yeah it's it's author is like i mean i mean i honestly i read this as fear and also disgust Oh, okay. Which is just as bad, honestly. Yeah. But I also read it a little bit as disgust, just like, get away from me, icky thing, you know, or... Yeah, and it's and it's the little grunt, like, the kind of, like, as, like, just he can't... Oh, but, like, even before that, it's terrific, because it's just when, when Merlin says, I was the one, I was the one who did it, and he's got this look on his face that's just like, oh, honey, what are you talking about? Like, like he's just kind of like, the person who defeated them was a sorcerer. And he's so, like, 
gentle with it. And it's just like how he, his, his range in that scene. It's probably my favorite performance of his in the entire show. It's because, like I said, it was so unexpected. I never expected him to do it. And yeah, it was, it was the perfect reaction. It was perfect because it was real, but we didn't think he was going to do it. Absolutely just incredible. Um, my second choice is Uther's death. Um, I mean, the amount of fear that he shows in this scene, he looks so small. <laughs> he looks so small in this scene. And like w- the way he yells for the guards, uh, just all of it is absolutely stunning. Uh, really heartbreaking. I mean, you got anything to add? <laughs> no, I mean, it would have been, that would have been my second favorite. Like that's what have been my second pick as well if I had allowed myself to pick more than one. <laughs> I I definitely I would have picked this one this one as well. Probably followed by probably followed by the one where he talks to Uther in Labyrinth of Gedrev and there's this like I can see the, the, the shot like he's shot from below and he just yeah, yeah. he looks up at Uther and goes something like um like says something about the suffering of their people and how he can't how he will never let them starve or I don't remember the exact line, but it's like just the look he gives Uther in that moment is so full of of emotion, of not understanding what his father is saying and at the same time loathing for what Uther is saying and it's just <sighs> yes it's amazing. yeah the line is incredible it's um I cannot think of my pride when our people go hungry they're all I could think of it's it's incredible it's incredible um my third pick is Arthur's scene with Merlin in 305 after um, Merlin's uh, seen him comforting Gwen and he walks into the room and he asks for a sword belt and he just goes, what the hell is it doing over there? But it's really nasty, a really nasty tone. And then he can't get it undone. Like he can't, like it's just a little tiny detail. Again, I, I don't know if it was scripted, but it feels very natural. And how Merlin is just like, gently trying to coax him to just give it to him and he just throws it on the table and it's just perfect (laughs) it's so perfect uh for for his character and the way he deals with grief um i love it that little moment is brilliant um and then my other two that i just came up with last minute for a comedic one is uh the scene with uh merlin and gaius in 206 when they're discussing the poison (laughs) he's just like just kind of so remind me again how this is a good idea and just i mean that scene is just like paced really well it's not just bradley but it's like the bum 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 of the music merlin in the background the whole uh like all his facial expressions once i've administered the poison uh, the potion and his kind of (laughs) and then like the you just said it wasn't important (laughs) like all of that it's just yeah Yeah. i absolutely love it um all of it and you know even the little like even manages to make it really mirthy with the whole you know don't be late like you know that kind of look of and like he knows he's not going to but it's almost like him being like you know 
I don't want this to be a goodbye in case you are late. You know, it's just, oh, it's such a good scene. Um, and I, of course, like, couldn't not include this one. I don't know why I didn't write it down before, but it is the Lady of the Lake ending scene <laughs> because I honestly think that it's Bradley's scene more than it is Colin's. Like, he's just kind of like, Merlin is just meant to be depressed in that scene and it's actually Bradley that like pushes the scene forward with his performance and like you know him sitting down and like the little physical things he does like the fact that he like raises his knees and puts his arms on his knees and kind of rocks back and forth because he doesn't quite know what to say and then carefully trying to approach the subject of you know what's the matter and then kind of the little squint he does when he's like was it when I threw water over you and everything he does in that scene is just everything I love about Soft Arthur. <laughs> Soft Arthur is my favorite, and he just makes it so beautiful um, in that moment. And the, like his voice is like really soft, and like the way he speaks is really gentle. And yeah, it's 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 his performance. Why that's my favorite Mirtha scene. It's just ah! <laughs> so that was a really sweet one to end on for the scenes. I think unless you can think of any Merlin ones, what's your favorite Merlin one of his? It would have been uh, Uther's death, like him after after Uther's death is, uh, yeah, just it's in my mind. Like I mean, there are many, you know, Arthur. Well, Bradley has many amazing scenes, but like the the really emotional ones are really the ones that. Although I will say that I also think he's amazing in Sweet Dreams, just when he's bewitched to love Vivian and just like the comedy in it and like a lot of it is just Bradley's performance just the just how he plays a completely befuddled author is just it's, <laughs> honestly it's it's amazing yeah or Arthur as when he's when the goblin turns him into a donkey a just donkey. oh my god it's just or Arthur without his will I was going to say Simpleton Arthur it's just you know it's, I mean, yes, Colin gets some range with Merlin when he, you know, when he's regular Merlin and when he's the Dragoon and when he's the Dolma. But I feel like Bradley, because he gets enchanted, like Arthur gets enchanted so often on top of being his regular self, like he gets more range in just acting out of character. Yeah. You know, and he still does it in a way that is believably Arthur, you know, and that's, yeah. that's not easy. <laughs> and when he hugs that tree, just the way, just, just, just his face the entire time, it, Arthur has no will. It's just, his face is just complete. you can see in his face that he's a completely different person, almost, you know, it's yeah. just... It's that's what does it for me. Like you know, being acting off and being goofy, fine, you know. But it's just his face. Just his face is <laughs> like you know, physically cannot change the way his face looks. And yet, <laughs> I actually have one more thing. It's not a scene, but I, but I just remember. We'll, we'll just mention all of the scenes now. <laughs> yeah, like he he does this thing when. Merlin's really pissed him off, but he's really calm about it. And the one that is my favorite is 
the rat stew. It's just kind of like he doesn't say anything. And when he does speak, you don't realize he's actually threatening him until he's like, until he says the words because his tone is so calm. And he's like, look at me. I'm being rude. Here I am stuffing my face. And it's like, you don't even realize what's coming until Merlin does where he's like, oh, and it's just the take a seat. It's just like extremely calm, measured fury. <laughs> just love with him. I'm sure there's another example. Um, like probably the, uh, the horseplay thing. It's like, you know, Merlin, you're doing it wrong. Now, of course, us Murtha shippers, you know, every scene like that is actually tinged with something else. <laughs> like the, you know, um, but even outside of that, you have to appreciate just Bradley's delivery. Like, even if you don't, if you, even if you don't romantically ship Merthyr, that doesn't change the fact that he just acts this so well. That silent fury that, you know, um, is, yeah, is, is truly wonderful. And yeah, I just, I like, I don't know why I forgot about it, but yeah, it just, yeah. it's probably some of my favorite yeah. dynamics between them. Yeah. So yeah, this, I love it. This segues us into the last one where I have like favorite delivery of a line. Like, like not necessarily Ooh. favorite quote because not always something that like the the actual words of a quote m- might be great but the delivery not as great then again sometimes a favorite quote becomes that because it was delivered so well but like just how things were delivered like you touched on this just in in the for example in the red stew scene where Bradley's delivery just completely makes the whole thing like if he had said this any differently, the scene would not be half as funny as it is. <laughs> it's just eat. It's just amazing. You know. So <laughs> it's just one word. Yes. So um Or anytime he says enter. It's just like really like regal, but it's like it doesn't make any sense. It's like come in, enter. It's brilliant. Yeah. So So what's your favorite? Um my favorite one is again from iZombie from the same episode that I mentioned before. And it's not even something that he says out loud. It's in his very last scene. He's on the rooftop with the villain of the show. He's looking across the street to another building's roof where he knows his girlfriend is with a sniper rifle. <laughs> and he taps his chest like over his heart with two fingers and he only mouths the words i love you because he knows he can she can see him and then he turns around and tries to kill the villain and just the way he looks in that scene and just the way he he like i said he doesn't even say it out loud but just yeah. the delivery delivery of that it's just so heartbreaking it gets worse when you watch on and then sorry spoiler gets killed very brutally, um, which fortunately you don't see explicitly. You just know and you see through her reaction because she watches the whole thing. But like just just the way he does it, the way he says it, and you can see the sincerity in his eyes as he says it or rather mouths at her. And it's just it breaks my heart and it's so good. But like it's simple, but very effective and just deeply emotional oh <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I actually completely forgot to prepare for this section, so I am actually just going to kind of go on the fly with my gut, um, which is going to be really difficult. <laughs> but I have to... I, oh, I Honestly, if I'm going to go with my heart, it's going to have to be... It's just two words, and it's for me, which is part of his goodbye speech to Merlin. Oh, and it's God. the way his voice cracks and how it kind of echoes as he says it. And it's just like, uh, kind of perfect really <laughs> for the scene. And of course, you know, um, the way he says, just hold me and how when he says please at the end of it, he's just kind of exhaling it. He's not really saying it. He's just exhaling it. It's really, really, really perfect. Um, I mean, he's really good at all the all the really emotional deliveries. So I feel like um, you could pick anyone, but I think he in those moments with Merlin at the end, they were just completely brilliant. But I do have a comedy one that I love, and it's not even canon because it's a deleted scene. <laughs> but it's the does he expect me to dress myself? It's just so great. <laughs> As he's holding his shirt and the wild eyes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just amazing. <laughs> and he's like, well, where did you last see him, Sire? Last night. <laughs> it's just brilliant. Um, yeah, Bradley does the sad stuff really well. <laughs> but Bra- Yeah, that's the thing. Bradley does the sad stuff really well. But the thing is, Bradley also does the funny stuff really well. Yes, that's, he does. You know, that's just the thing. Bradley does both really well Mm. um i mean i didn't really include this in the favorite scenes part because i actually wanted to technically save this for angel but i'll just mention it for delivery of the line i think his delivery during arthur and gwen's breakup scene quote unquote is really amazing for a couple of moments um how he's so calm in the beginning and then just flies off the handle, which is just perfect. Like it's perfect for the scene. And it's the, um, it's the, uh, the way he says, um, you only had to wait one more day that always gets me. Like the way he delivers that line, I'm like, Oh, that's gutting. That is absolutely gutting. Um, and I really love him in that scene. I think he's terrific, but I, like I said, I was going to save it for Angel because I think she's a little bit better. <laughs> Like, just a tiny bit. She really impressed me in that scene a lot. So, yeah, I like it a lot. Good. Yeah. And that that already concludes us, honestly. Like, yeah. I mean, uh, anyone who's ever met me for more than five seconds knows I could keep on talking about Bradley for, like, ever. And uh, if you're not following him on Instagram or Twitter, I highly encourage you to do so because... I mean, he may post infrequently, but when he does, it's usually hilarious <laughs> or heartbreakingly sweet. <laughs> so um, definitely go and do that because he is—he's such a darling. Honestly, I—I—I I, I chose to love this man not not just for any reason, not just because he's pretty, but also because he's actually really adorable and lovable. So. Yeah, and so I think we are we are done with this episode. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Another one bites the dust. <laughs> well, it... just like Arthur did. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, it's, it's fine. It wouldn't be a Melissa episode if you didn't remind everyone that Arthur is dead. <laughs> Listen, if I have to live with the pain, so should everyone else. <laughs> it's only fair. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Yeah, next time we are going to do a little recap of Coinalot. And we'll talk to you guys then. Until then, I'm Momotastic. And I'm Miss Snowfox. Bye. Bye.